Last Monday, most of you associated with College Church got word of news that our family has been carrying for a little more than six weeks now. For those of you that are not immediately part of College Church or living in the area, you may not know. I'll take a minute and just catch you up because I think it frames the message for the day. On Monday of Holy Week, the day after Palm Sunday, uh, my sister, Jackie, uh, was told by a doctor that they had discovered a large tumor in her body. They were quite concerned. The following day, she informed my wife and I, and then by that Thursday, Maundy Thursday, we were in an oncologist's office for a biopsy. And a few days after that, the following week, we discovered that that tumor was cancerous. It was malignant. Subsequent tests revealed that it was not only malignant, it had spread and metastasized to other parts of her body. So like many of you that have been down this journey before, our family started into a descent. Uh, And so the last six or seven weeks around our home has been uh, just covered with a cloud uh, and just a sense of heaviness and the loss, and I know many of you can associate with that because you're in the same journey, though the details are a little different. So to the present day, we're continuing to pray that God will intervene and do something that only God could explain. For while, um, while the mortality rate for this cancer is high, extremely high, it is not 100%. There are outliers. There are inexplicable occasions. And so, of course, like many of you, we're praying for that, and we would ask you to join us in praying for that. But on the other hand, we are doing what they told us to do, and that is to brace ourselves because the journey ahead of us looks like it's going to be rather long and arduous. And so if I could just encourage you to pray not only for each other, but for my sister at this time, and especially for her. And if you think of it for our family, as we try to go through this with her, I I won't be able to thank you enough. Now I say all of that to say this. From the very beginning, it has seemed that the messages I've been speaking to you have been more or less forged in that place. I'm sorry if they felt too personal. I hope somewhere along the road, you have heard a word from the Lord for you in your situations. So messages such as, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, glorify your name. Or he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and they recognized one that they could not see. The same spirit that was in Jesus has been breathed into us, so we have the same spirit of Jesus. And now we are led by that spirit and filled with that spirit, empowered by that spirit, anointed by that spirit. It seemed every week while I was writing a message for you, there was something in it for us. I say that to say today is no exception. I want to speak on praying in the spirit or praying between two wills. 
From the time our children are small and they can first start to form words, we teach them to pray. We tell them to speak to God, to open up their heart and tell God what they are thinking and feeling and what they need and what they want from God. Because God, like a father, cares for them. Well, I started to wonder if our prayers as we get older are somehow stuck in those early formative years. I mean, the language has changed, but I wondered if the concepts that we have of God when we pray to him are still pretty much what they were when we were children. All this does is underline the importance of children ministry for teaching our children the right ways, good ways to think about God. The ancients, as far back as the fourth century in the writings of Evagrius Ponicus, John Cassian after him, said that there were three levels to prayer, what they called prayer from the lips, prayers from the mind, and then prayers from the heart. And the goal, they said, in praying was to move from the lips to the mind to the heart. We had to start where all prayers start, like children, saying the same things again and again. And so prayers from the lips often repeat phrases that are very familiar to us, guide, direct, bless, thank you. A lot of the prayers that we pray before meals and that we pray at bedtime with our children, even a lot of pastoral prayers are prayers from the lips. Nothing wrong with that, but it's only the first level. Prayers from the lips have a definite starting point and a definite ending point in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And the purpose is to articulate to God what the desires of our heart are. It's to articulate our praise to God when we're in his presence. But the more educated you become and the longer you're alive and the more contemplative of a person you are, your prayers sometimes move from the lips to the mind. And prayers from the mind deal not so much with language as they do concepts, ideas, thoughts about God. When I pray like this, I frequently hold two attributes of God that seem to be in conflict. And in my thoughts come my prayers. My thoughts become my prayers. Suddenly, I am no longer thinking about God. I'm thinking out loud in front of God, and I'm saying things to him. But these things are coming from my mind, and sometimes I have good ways of saying it, and other times I can hardly say it at all. But these prayers, I start them anywhere. They don't have formal beginnings, and they don't formally end. They just sort of drift, and then I have to get back to work. Once in a while, as life permits, 
we are allowed to descend from the mind into the heart. And when we pray from the heart, we hardly say anything at all. Our thoughts are moving in a hundred different directions. All that we have are deep longings and achings of a soul that wants something badly, and yet it knows that the thing it wants it might not get. So we sit, sometimes just staring off. If anyone walked by, they'd think we were daydreaming, but, but we're, we're not. We're fumbling for language. And somehow everything that we've spent our entire lives sharpening, our use of language, our our intellect, and some of you have made a living on your intellect and your mind and your words, a good living. Suddenly you're up against something that you can't move. I don't think we can pray from the heart whenever we want. I think we can only pray Pray from the heart when we're to the end of ourselves and our words fail us. To pray from the heart as I understand it is not to pray in some euphoric language with words I do not understand. It is to pray with no language at all. It is not some prophetic inspired speech it's speechlessness. It's a silent groan that starts from within and it goes up to God. And I believe that when God brings us to a place like this, it's, it's right on the edge at the end of ourself and right before we fall into the abyss of despair and resentment and frustration and anger and all of those other things that ruin the soul. It's right before we fall into that that the Spirit begins to pray. Well, last Holy Week, while we were walking through this, I was reading in Luke because Luke talks a lot about Jesus praying, more than any of the other three Gospels. John has his prayers, yes, but Luke says he actually prayed more. And I hit this passage in Luke 22 that was just read to you, where very familiar to you, where Jesus prayed in the garden on the eve of his death, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it occurred to me at about two o'clock in the morning that there were two wills in conflict in the garden that night. One of those was the will 
of the Son and the other was the will of the Father. And even if you read this as some do in the infinitive and say, no, 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 it comes in the form of a question. What he was saying is, are you willing that this, or as one writer puts it, if you remove this cup well and good, it still sounds like there's two wills. Bad theologians rush in at this moment to save the day and to remind us that the one praying in the garden was mortal, forgetting, I suppose, that he was also the Son of God. So what we have in this prayer in the garden is a God-man caught between two wills between what he wants and what he thinks the Father wants, and they're not the same thing. He wants something that the Father doesn't want, and yet he's not sinning. He disagrees with the Father, but he's not argumentative. If he's frustrated, he isn't angry. If he's hurt, he's not offended. Jesus has found a way to wrestle with the Father without leaving him. He is praying from a different position, and yet he is still in the Father, and the Father is in him. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, and no one knows the Father except him. But here in the garden, they're not wanting the same thing. I think this is where many of us have been, certainly where I've been in the last few weeks. But not just us, not just our family your family. Over the last few years, I have prayed with some of you that your marriages would be healed and yet the affairs never stopped and the abuse never stopped and the other person never became more interested or never more engaged in that relationship. And eventually, the more we prayed, the worse it got. I prayed with some of you that you would be able to get pregnant, but you can't. I prayed that your business would receive funding so you could reopen, but so far you haven't. I prayed when you lost your job teaching, another university would hire you. And it seems like the more we pray, it, it, it's just, not happening. And you come to that point, the edge, I say, where pretty soon you don't have words for this. And what most of us do at this place, because we don't want to have unkind thoughts about God, is we, we abort the conversation too quickly. I've used all of these ways have you? One of those ways is disengagement. It's just to wave the hand and to say, well, you know what? 
God is going to do what God does. He has a mind all his own. He has ways all his own. And so you, we just got to get on. So this whole mentality of, look, we can't change his mind. Just move on. That's disengagement. That's not faith. Others, they negotiate. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Or God, if you won't give me this, at least give me that. Others draw a line and create an ultimatum. Sometimes we say, I can't believe this is the kind of God you are. I'm leaving. This was C.S. Lewis early when he lost his wife. He said, I, I fear not believing that God doesn't exist. Of course he exists. I fear believing things about him that are unthinkable, that maybe this is the kind of God he is. And so we draw ultimatums and we say, if that's the kind of person you are, if you've hurt me, then I'm going to hurt you by leaving. Listen to me. If we can stay in this place long enough, God can do a work in our lives here like he could not do any other place. Can I spend my last few minutes talking just to you? First, the one that you're praying to is a father. It is not God. The longer this goes on, you're tempted to start using theological language that refers to, oh, I don't know, supernatural forces and pre-existent pre words and all of those philosophical terms to try and bring it to make sense into your mind. But the one that you are praying to is a father and no one knows the father like the son. Not you and not me. You cannot know the Father through your mind. You can only know him through the words of the Son. And you will have to believe on the authority of the Son that he knows things about the Father that you don't know. So your Father, he says, knows what you have need of before you ask. And your Father loves to give good gifts to his children. And your Father has the capacity to make all things work together for your good such that if you knew what the Father knows, you would not only accept this, you might ask for it. Second, last. You're not the only one praying. There is one inside of you that is praying too. In your speechlessness, he has words to interpret what's happening inside of you to the Father. 
Paul refers to this as praying in the spirit in Romans chapter eight. He says, in our weakness, not whenever we want, in our weakness, the spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. It's, it's, it's when we don't know what to ask for that the Spirit begins to talk. That word intercede uh, is a long word <laughs> in, in the Greek. It has two parts. The first part, the root word, means to speak to somebody and the prefix uper means to speak on their behalf. And so when someone intercedes, they're talking to someone, but they're also talking on behalf of someone. So they're talking to the Father on behalf of us. And they're talking to us on behalf of the Father. Because it is here at the edge of that abyss, in between two wills, ours and his, that faith is never more intimate and yet fragile, tentative. And the Spirit comes to bring the heart of the Father to me and then to bring my heart to the Father. And he does this not so much by getting in between us. You see, the flaw of uh, disengagement or negotiation or the ultimatum is all three of those picture God on the other side of the table in a zero-sum game. He has his mind made up, and my role is to try to get as much as I can from the Father for myself. But everything he gives me, he loses. And everything he takes, I lose. And that's how it feels until the Spirit comes alive inside of us and starts speaking out of my weakness in my loneliness in my loss, my frustration, as if these very things were his own. He speaks not from a place of distance, not, not objectively. Mm. He speaks subjectively from within. And at the same time, he makes the ground in my heart fertile for the word of God. So I can hear things about old verses I've known my whole life. I've never heard them before, not like this. So I'm learning that there are times like those in our lives and in yours where we can pray in the Spirit. But to pray in the Spirit is to pray differently, to make room for the Spirit it means to be more honest. 
in our words. Stop saying things you think God wants to hear unless you believe them. And until you believe them, say what you already believe. It does no good to talk to God from a position you're not in. You can only speak from where you are, not where you should be. So start there. And what you might find is you can be quite creative in your language when you're authentic. Second, I find when I'm praying in the spirit, I listen better. I'm as interested in the Father's will as I am in my own. When I'm praying in my mind, I'm arguing my case. And I've done this. And I'll continue to do it. There's a place for it in prayer. But when I'm praying from the heart, in the Spirit, I'm as interested in the Father's case as I am in my own. And so my prayers have more questions than statements. There are periods where I'm silent for a long time. I get halfway through the prayer and I change my mind. Sometimes I find a third way. There is my will and there's the will I thought was his. And suddenly, in this wrestling with God, a third way emerges. And it seems better, higher than either mine or his perceived. Sometimes I will write these thoughts down, but just as often I don't. There was almost always I come out of them with a deep imprint uh, in my soul of something God said to me. And what it moves is not my mind. It's strange because uh, that's where everything starts for me. It moves my heart. And so it moves me and I never forget it. I find uh, when I pray in the spirit, I pray longer. And the prayer never ends. I pray with full transparency. And um, I sometimes get up in the middle of it and just walk away. Finally, I find that when I pray in the spirit, I am capable of feeling both sadness and immense joy at the same time. A person whose heart is heavy should not be this glad. A person who disagrees with the Father should not in that same moment be listening to the Father and believing him. And yet, that is exactly what happens.
I find when I pray in the Spirit, I start drifting back into the language of Scripture. Not because I'm looking for a promise. I'm not every third verse is a word from God or I'm going to take God's word and use it as a weapon against him. But you said I'm not doing this. I'm looking for language because the meaning of things arises in the way that we talk about them. It's, it's important for me to get the words right. And so in the scripture, I am able to locate my dilemma in the narrative of God. Then, from there, I can hear the scripture like never before. Well, I've said a lot to you. I'm grateful you've been this patient this long. If you're still listening and you're still in that place, between two wills, yours and what you think is God's. Can I tell you that you are not unspiritual? These thoughts and these feelings in this place that you're in does not mean that you're unspiritual. You should stop beating yourself up. It was on the day he wrestled with God that Jacob got his name changed to Israel, which means he wrestles with God. So anyone who is a true Israelite, anyone who is a true people of God wrestles with God from time to time even God himself wrestles with God on the eve of his crucifixion. It's okay, you can go there, but your frustration must not become anger and your hurt must not become offense. Your disappointment must not become cynicism. Stay in that place and be honest and be fair. The second and last thing I want to tell you is that God is for you. You're tempted to think right now as though God is uh, maybe a long ways off or that worse opposed to you or worse still punishing you for something that you've done. So you're looking for it. What did I do? What went wrong? Don't I have enough faith in all of that? But what you need to know is that your father is a father. He's not the father you had. He's not the father your father was. He's the father your father should have been. And he's good. You will have to trust the revelation of Jesus because we don't know everything, you and I. This morning as you uh, come out of this time, it's been a pretty uh, heavy message for me to write, trying to articulate a place that 
feels like it's the end of our faith, but it might actually be the beginning of something new. I've put three questions up, and I think if you go to one of the links, you can find those questions. And my hope is that um, as soon as I pray in a moment, you'll just turn to someone else in the room and you'll take on one or two of these questions. Because I think that, well, you can, I, I can talk like this. But where you really start to hear it is when you process it. You've got to break it down and repeat it and say what you thought you heard. More than that, what the Spirit said while I was talking. Here are the questions. Can you think of a time when you prayed between two wills, yours and the Father's? Can you remember how you felt? Can you remember the issue? Do you know how you handled that? And what did it do to your life with God? Second, did you hear anything in the last few moments that might have encouraged you? And if you did, man, I hope you did. Why was that so encouraging? What do you think the Spirit was saying to you? What does He want you to know? And third, if you were to pray differently, if you were to pray from the heart instead of from the mind, what might you do different when you pray? Would you take longer? Would you use more scripture? Would you be more honest? Would you listen more? Would you create moments of silence? Would you journal? What would you do if you were to make room for the Spirit? I believe the Spirit wants to pray through us far more often than he does because of limitations we put upon him. Well, this morning, you have a chance to talk about those. Can I pray with you, Father? From the bottom of my heart, I thank you for every person that is with us this morning in heart and in spirit. I thank you for a body of people that you have put around us, each one of us, not just our family, but all families who are strong and compassionate and yet sensitive and so wise. Oh God, there are so many good lives in our church. Bless us, I pray. Bless these discussions as we have them right now. Enter into them. Give us things that we hadn't thought about, but suddenly here they are. Favor us, anoint us, fill us. In Jesus' great name.